We the bestest cast with the left twist. Fat, fairly well dressed. Put me on the guest list. The guest list. Uh, yeah, on the guest list. Yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another week of Barstool Backstage or on the guest list or whatever the fuck we're calling this at this point. I don't even know anymore. It's in the transitional phase. I guess we'll just roll with what we usually do. Uh, we're usually with Fox trying to get down, White Sox, Dave, Kenny Carkeet, and Dante. But that's not the case this week. Dave's in Milwaukee. Dante is somewhere on a plane. We don't know where he is. Kenny's working for SpongeBob. We do have Johnny Congos in the building. Johnny, how are you, buddy? What's up, Con? You're the it's longest one Pretty here. soon it's just going to be you. And yeah, like, I know. What the fuck is going on? Find some intern to jump on with you because everyone's uh busy being doing ballers. dumb shit. Yeah, well, Dante's doing cool shit. Dave's in Milwaukee. If I had to pick a worse place to be, I don't think I could. Uh, and Kenny's, I don't know, fucking with SpongeBob. But we do have <laughs> two, two, two guys on today. We have the young blood. We have the kids' corner this week. We have the interns. We have Cole and Caleb. Uh, Cole, how are you, buddy? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. Do you like being called the kids' corner? Does it make you feel young and cool? Yeah, it keeps me young. Keeps me young. I'm the young one generally, and I'm 31, so this is kind of fucked up. Yeah. Fuck That's... you, bro. Don't make that face, dude. I... <laughs> Goddamn millennial. Yeah, millennial. Uh, we got the Gen Z people in the building today. Maybe the most Gen Z guy that I talked to. Caleb, how are you, buddy? It's Bracken. What's going on? It's Bracken. <laughs> Jesus Christ. What oh, is God. Gen Z? Like, what is the actual cutoff? We're uh, Gen Z cuts off at 2012. It goes from 97 to 2012. That's the that's the broad like 1997 to, to 2012. It's like the people who grew up with iPads existing, but we weren't like stuck to them yet. That's Gen Alpha. Gen Alpha is the iPad kids. There's a Gen, Gen Alpha? Alpha. Yeah, 2012. I can't on. wait for Gen Beta. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, this is usually an old person's podcast, dude, trying to sound cool. Dude, I it think is- they, should, they should break generations down, not just on years, because, like, there's some old-ass young people that I've met and vice versa. You know, like, there's, it's true. there's young people that are, like, don't know how to use technology, don't know any of the current cultural references, and then there's old people that are, like, on top of that. So I feel like I would, I would need, rather like, deal- call, you need to get a card that, like, lets you switch between generations. There's, like, old technology, too. Like, we don't use Excel anymore. That's I've never used Microsoft Excel that's ever. That's because you haven't got any money. <laughs> <laughs> nah, fuck Excel, dude. I, 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 I've never found like I. We, did you guys ever take Excel classes when you were in grade school? No, like sixth grade. Yeah, I, dude, in grade school, I went to Catholic grade school. Uh, when I was in second grade, we had computer class with Sister Marita, who was like ninety-eight years old, and she once told me she was gonna hang me from the ceiling. And it was like the most traumatic experience of my childhood for like six straight years. I would get like full on stuff. Like until I graduated grade school, I would have panic attacks going to computer class every week. I swear to God, because then Sister Marita died. So like that was a weight off my shoulders. (laughs) I I thought you were going to say like, I thought you were going to say like, I went to computer class and learned how to do typing. Did you guys do that? Instead, you're just like, and then this this old lady threatened to hang me from the rafters. Swear to God, dude. And I like St. Charles Bar Mayo. I like had like chronic diarrhea going to fucking computer class every week. It's such a it's such a fucked up thing that like that's such a common story because it turns so many people, I think, away from like 
having a good relationship with religion because they have these fucked up experiences when they're kids. I mean, never mind like the actually fucked up ones. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you know Johnny, I mean? <laughs> Johnny, my, my experience with the Catholic Church <laughs> was much better than a lot of people's. Yeah, yeah, of, just, of, <laughs> of course. I'm just saying, like, even on the mild level, it's like fucking torturing kids in, in computer class and then expecting them to be like, yeah, I'm coming back to church and on Sunday. Fuck off. I picture going me going to like a support group where people have problems with the Catholic Church and I walk in and everybody's sitting there just like chain smoking cigarettes and I'm like, Yeah, dude, that nun threatened me and they all just look at me. It's like it's like uh what's the uh, half, half baked. baked? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that's that's what happened. Boo this man. Uh all right, yeah, so this is a music podcast. Let's get into that. Uh I don't know. Some shit did happen. And I thought it would be good to actually have the younger guys on the podcast this week because there's certain things I do want to talk about before we get oh the interview this week is with the gin blossoms. We're talk about throwback old people shit. We've been on this run of <laughs> '90s nostalgia. I gotta say, this interview with the lead singer of the Jim Blossoms was fucking hilarious. There's a story in here, Cole. I'm telling you right now, clip this about how when they recorded their biggest hit, they were visited by aliens. There was a legit thing that was dropped in the last I five minutes of the that, interview. Yeah. The last five uh, minutes of the interview, he's like, "By the way, when we when we recorded that song, aliens visited us that day." And I was like, "You could have led with that. You could have led sure with to clip that. that. Wow, I appreciate that. Yeah. So, uh." It's a great interview. Stick around for that. We do have a bunch of interviews coming up that are fucking phenomenal. And there's like one that we're going to Austin for. I don't know when that is, but it's happening. And I can't say who it is. But if you're a fan of podcasts in Austin, you'll know. It's not Joe Rogan. I'll say that. It's not Joe Rogan. (laughs) But it's somebody in Austin who's a big deal. Um, But let's start. I want to talk about this. I don't know if you guys have seen the news about uh, Spotify is updating their homepage. And it's no longer going to be your playlist and things fed to you. It's going to be a TikTok like endless scroll of things that are recommended to you yeah from what i was, good the ai i've actually i've i've seen i've seen i've gotten the ability to see some of the um ai that's rolled out to use that and from everything i'm seeing it's very positive positive like, in what perspective like is it better as, as to as like find new discovery? things as far as music discovery people on twitter who've gotten the feature rolled out to them seem like pretty ecstatic about it like they say they worked really well and then Spotify seems to have like taken their time into like figuring it out. The one thing I'd say as an artist is like, regardless of the layout, if even if it went like full TikTok, just the fact that they're in a music platform and can click and then go actually deep dive into a band is so much better because you're scrolling through fucking TikTok, you hear a track you like, and then like, what are the chances you actually go and check out that band? It's very slim, you know? Right. Whereas this, you're in it. No, I know people do it, but I'm saying like, as an artist, when you, if, if you get people that are like, that you catch them in that first 15 seconds, the ability for them to just click and get straight to you is really, really helpful. I think. I I I like, I go ahead, Cole. I was going to say, I I like the, uh, the, the concept of the discoverability for small bands and small artists just simply because like it's you'd find bands on tiktok if their sound went viral but if you have that on spotify like like it's it's so easy just to click on their their account but the one thing i'm worried about is if this really takes off is if people just start like click baiting the algorithm where they start Mm -hmm. doing 15 second clips of like bullshit catchy songs and the, the songs just drop down to like a minute in length in every album I Bro, hate to ever, break it to you. Uh, that's that's what music is right now. It is, and <laughs> I, I, I'll use I'll use my buddy Armani White as an example. Armani went viral for Billie Eilish, the song, and people got mad when the song came out because it was only like a minute and forty six seconds long. 
and people were like, "Where's the real music?" It's like, well, you guys asked for this. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. And I don't, I don't have a, I don't, I don't have a problem with the user interface of of Spotify turning into a TikTok scroll. That's fine. People are going to discover that way. I'm speaking more as also a consumer of Spotify. Part of me is like, I don't want, I just want to go to my music. Like I do enjoy discovering new things, but like on a, like a real note, like I don't fucking want this scroll when I go on like Apple music and Spotify are so different. If you go to their user interfaces, Apple music's like, we're going to give you nothing and you're going to like it. And Spotify is like, how can we help you? You know what I mean? Like right. I kind of like the nonchalance of Apple music. I don't know. But look, they're, like, they're both like- predatory fucking bastards because all they're doing is feeding you this sieve of what they actually want you to listen to. It's like, I don't know. I, I could go on for fucking hours about either of them. I use Apple Music partially because like, I was just in with all my own local music that I put into that system, so I'm kind of stuck. But And also because you can't get fucking Joni Mitchell on Spotify, so like, I'm not, I can't do that. I need Joni Mitchell on my libraries. Uh, but dude, it's just it's just a sieve. They want you to go listen to what they want you to listen to, and sometimes that's good, but I would say mostly not, because you know who controls that. You know, it's like it ends up being the same fucking five labels pushing everything. I think the major problem with moving to an AI based discovery system is kind of piggybacking off goals. You're going to find a lot of people that are now trying to hack the algorithm with music in the same way they do TikTok. Uh, but it's you're gonna lose the like you're gonna lose a lot of longer songs you're gonna lose a lot of like people trying to like naturally grow a fan base and just trying to like attempt to hack some type of type of algorithm well doesn't and I think it feel- make music somewhat even more commercial than it is now doesn't it feel like music nowadays everybody's just trying to hack the algorithm or take the shortcut. Like, yes, I, but generally it's like a snippet. It's a part of the song. You're still ending up with usually three to four minute songs when you actually move over to checking out the artist. Yeah, it, I, but it is it, it is it is fun now to see established artists start to rebel against it in a way. And we've talked a lot about the little Yachty album on this. I enjoy the fact that Yachty said, fuck everything. I don't care what I've done previously. Like, I'm going to take a left turn. And he's following Tyler, the creator. He said that in his own, you know, Tyler's a unicorn kind of an artist because he does whatever the fuck he wants and it works for him. And mm-hmm. I like that. But it's like, we're going to have to start to see artists who have a set of nuts who are just going to be like, fuck, I don't give a shit. And it's easier to do that when you're already established. We're talking about artists that are trying to hack the algorithm to get their way up the ladder. Like, I guess I feel it like is- what they need to do is start paying out based on length of time. Listen, and yes. like change, change what a play counts as. Like, I don't know what it is right now. Make it longer. I'm saying that it's going to fuck all of us because I know people are listening to our shit for like 10 seconds and we're making our 0.0003 cents or whatever. (laughs) Well, did you, there, there's a guy who actually did that. And I think that the length is like 31 seconds that counts as a play. So he would make all of his, Uh, I think it was like white noise, just like a white noise thing or or something like sounds of the jungle. And it was just all 31 seconds and he racked up so much money. And then I think they changed that or something, but this is a fun segue into another conversation I did want to have before the interview. And it's about kind of like the retention of music and also like what people, specifically younger people, are gravitating towards. And it brings me to Rolling Loud LA that just happened this past week. Lineup was great. Uzi headlined. Looked awesome. I I have a soft spot for Uzi because he's from my city, but like that looked like a good time. But there was a video that went viral earlier in the day where the Alchemist, world famous producer, he's still kind of the king of the underground in a a certain perspective because he's still producing for a lot of these guys that are... I don't know, traditionalists, but he also worked on Kendrick's record. Like he's a big fucking name. 
And him and Larry June, who have like a, a collaborative project out, they were early in the day. Crowd wasn't built in. And Alchemist was doing these like fucking throwback tracks of Mob Deep and shit like that. And the crowd didn't give a fuck. It was really awkward to where he's like, let's go, everybody. Get your motherfucking hands up. And nobody did shit. And then later in the day, Queen of the Earth right now, Ice Spice comes out. And there is 100,000 phones out. Like legitimately 100,000 phones out for someone who has actually like six songs. And it's just like, to me, like, it's so odd to see the virality of a moment that you get to capture at a concert driving what's popular. Like people went to go see that performance to say that they saw Ice Spice. Do you know what I mean? Like nobody was there like, oh, I fucking love this song. They're like, I can actually take a video of Ice Spice. This is going to go hard on my socials. Like, do you, do you, do you know what I'm saying? Like, isn't that kind I of know, weird? Yeah. Like people are thinking about their reactions and like the engagement they're going to get on their own posts. So they're like, that's what's driving what they want to take pictures of. I don't know. It's ban, it, it's ban phones, ban the internet, uh, cut the electricity off. That's that's old, the only solution. Old to people this shit. shit. Old people shit. I gotta I gotta say I think first of all, I think Ice Spice right now is she's like she's holding the position of the meme artist where everyone likes her because like everyone else likes her and it's just like a a closed feedback loop i mean she's i think she makes good music i don't i don't not like her songs i'm just saying she's holding the title of like the 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 meme queen whereas before it was like i I don't know olivia rodrigo off the top of my head like everyone liked her because she was the the popular one um so i think that's gonna fade slowly it, it's it you see it all the time it's just who's who's popular when miles teller was in like when top gear was released the mustache and the miles teller thing was just all over well every every girl you every pussies girl definitely both teller. had mustaches didn't you nope i've I, had a mustache I, for two years uh so you were ahead of the curve head of the curve that's why his camera's off because no one <laughs> looks like a rat <laughs> no i need to reset my zoom it's the only way to fix it but i'm not gonna I'm just gonna fucking Photoshop a random picture of a person. You want me to Photoshop My- Miles Teller in there? Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> All right, tonight, Cole, when you when you put the YouTube together, please just like Photoshop Miles Teller in his spot. I can just do that. Deep, deep fake it. <laughs> but no, like I do. It, it once again, music does go in cycles, and I think about like, all right, when I was a kid, right, we were going through this period of time where LimeWire had first started hitting, and meme artists were the first ones to come out. Were like Soldier Boy. Like, I think mm-hmm. about stuff like that. Like, this shit does go in cycles. But it is to me, like, I just talked myself into this. Music is becoming more and more of a commodity, less of, like, an art form. When you think about the fact that an artist like Ice Spice is so popular because of what people can create with her music as opposed to what it actually is. Yeah. Like, Boy's a Liar is, like, literally the number one sound on TikTok, Reels, all that shit. Because it's catchy and it's good to like create too. So it's like you're not retaining. Like nobody in 10 years is going to be going through their collection of records, their vinyl records that they might have of something they really like. And they're like, man, I'm about to throw this ice spice on and just fucking think. That's not Dude, what I it mean, is. If you want to get super conspiratorial about it, which I'll do for you. Please do. They want everyone on earth to be a creator feeling as though they've got like all this creativity and energy to give to the world when no one really does. Like it's not possible for everyone to be a fucking creator, even though now everyone is a creator and it's just keeping people like super asleep and not aware of what's actually going on in the world. And I, I mean, are you talking t- about January? Are you talking about the January six tapes? Is that what you're alluding to? <laughs> not at all. I don't even <laughs> know. <what> <laughs> no. 
Where were you on January 6th? Me? Yeah. Oh, Personally? Was, uh, I, I was uh, playing the accordion. I, that's I'm, always my excuse. That's a really might, good excuse. Which might be worse in yeah, some I was gonna people's say, eyes. You should be thrown in jail and tried just for playing the accordion. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know what I'm saying? Like, if everyone's constantly creating and everyone is like focused on this, it's just, it's like, a, it's the new form of consumerism where it used to be like you just wanted everyone shopping, which is what they still want. But doesn't right art always, doesn't art always pre prelude a rebellion? Oh. Like, in every God damn it. Industry, here we go. Like the French Revolution. Oh, yeah, um, dude. We're right there. I'm with you. We're, we're like four, four minutes away from the Bastille being stormed. We're, yeah, we're, 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 we're two Ice Spice EPs away from storming the Capitol again. And congrats, like guys. Roman we're on a watch list. Times. You know, it's like people fucking throwing up and because they're eating so much just so they can eat more. Like, we're we're pretty close on the uh, end of the, the Empire cycle. We're at the, we're I, at the Roman vo- vomitorium stage. of Ice Spice, Ice Spice is the official indicator of the Empire's downfall. Yeah, she's the third horseman. <laughs> so, so but what I'm being told here is that revolution is coming based on the fact that boys a liar is going viral. Yes, <laughs> that's what we're concluding. No, no, yes. that's actually that's actually what I'm saying is this might be a way that they keep the revolution from happening. It's like you slowly let out steam and you let people feel like they've got control over something instead of people just taking to the streets and being like, fuck this shit. We've slid, we've, we've, we've slid, we've slid so far as a culture that it used to be that religion was the opium of the masses. And now it's twerk videos. Keep us from storming the Capitol. I love that. This is great. As long as there's opium is what I, is what you're saying. Colin. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, it's just like, it freaks me out because the, the nerd in me, like the music nerd. And also I'm a bit of a conspiracy theorist when it comes to the music industry. When I see something like, and I'm not here to downplay Ice Spice. Like, I never really thought that I would be having this deep of a conversation about Ice Spice. But it's like, <laughs> it does freak me out in the perspective that it's like, we give our lives to make things. And then there's also things that just like, lead me to believe that this is a frivolous endeavor and that we're just all kind of like feeding a fucking, it's like the end of Toy Story 3. We're all just sliding into the fucking trash incinerator. I don't know what's going Hi. on. Colin, that's the fucking horror of the situation of life. That is what's happening. We're all going to die. It's all effectively meaningless. Find your own meaning and be happy. And with that, I conclude the On the Guest pod. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back to Barstool Backstage. Kill yourself, everybody. That's basically where we're at right now. I I said said the exact opposite of that. I said live live your life. Like, I get what you're saying. Like, I I can fucking go down, like... Trust me, every time I open up Spotify and go listen to the top 100, I get pretty fucking depressed. But at the same time, like, shit's always been the same way. Just find what is, there's more than enough shit out there that's good. Go find it and be happy. That's what I'm, have you, I, t- I try to tell myself that every morning. Yeah, as you smile maniacally <laughs> with fucking mandolins in the background. Um, <laughs> I guess that is a good question. Like, has there been anything recently that Cole or Caleb that you found, like, musically, that you've been, like, actually enthused about? Anyama. Uh, What'd you say? Anyama. What is Anyama? He is a he's a techno artist out of the UK that blew up out of nowhere. He's some of the most creative visuals. He animates everything he does. He's been starting to like hit the festival track like really rapidly, and people have been like picking him up. But his music's like honestly really creative, and it goes with an art piece Ooh. that he's created, and it's all vertical. So it's this massive fucking like iPhone in front of you, basically. 
So he's kind of playing off the fact that we're used to like vertical art imagery now. Um, but it's like the it's like a 50 foot screen. And yeah. he he animates all these pieces to work with his track in synchronous while he's using these like Korg Moog modular synthesizers up on stage. He's sick. Probably the first that it's pronounced Anyama A N Y M A. I didn't expect to get an actual answer out of that. That was fucking awesome, by the way. This is what we get. Like when we sub out What Sucks Dave and Kenny, we get actual answers. This is great. Because if I asked that question to those two, Dave would be like, I'm listening to Leonard Skinner. And fucking <laughs> Kenny would be like, I hate everything. That's awesome. Thank you, Caleb. Thank you, Miles Teller. <laughs> uh, this Cole. dude. Yeah, I've seen that dude. I saw that, that one clip of the fucking giant robot or android thing was going huge. Speaking yeah. of giant robots and androids, Cole or Caleb, how was a uh, Muse the other night? Muse was Muse was nuts. Um, I think there's still like the one anarchist voice that still exists in music, like on a really heavy scale, like on a really big platform. Yeah. So it's really fun to like go to a concert and all these people are like, oh my god, I want to hear Uprising. They're playing a song called "We Are Fucking Fucked," and it's just all <laughs> we were already talking about. Um, Muse, Muse was fantastic. Evanescence was so washed up; it wasn't even funny, but they still got the one banger. So, like, we're still we were still rolling with it. Wake me up! <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, how, sort of... how much did you pay for your anarchist tickets? I didn't pay anything. <laughs> I didn't pay anything. I was the guest of New Amsterdam. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, just uh, fucking sick flex, dude. Yeah, sick flex. I like that. I uh, stayed inside and watched Psych. Come to Post Malone one time as in a box for New Amsterdam, and he he was like, "I'm too tired. I'm not going to drive an hour." I like, dude. I think no, that wasn't true. I'm sure there was something. I was probably doing something else. I was worried about Post Malone there for a minute, like on a human level for one, because he seemed like he was falling apart. No pun intended. Shut up. Uh, (laughs) I fucking love that guy. Like this is on a human. I, I I like his music too. I thought the last album was like pretty. Man, but like just as a human being, like I still watch those fucking Sturgill Simpson cover videos all the time. Like I, I, I fuck with Post. Like I he know did a, lot of- a lot of um, he did he put his heart into a lot of songs that weren't really. It was interesting when he watched him live because he put his heart into a lot of songs that it seemed like he liked, not the ones that were popular. So he'd play the hits, but then he played like love, love and hate letter to alcohol was probably the biggest banger on stage. That was the most like energy he put into something. The whole room was like moving with it. He still like directs the crowd really well towards like what he wants to play. And it was, he was really refreshing to watch. Do you ever, uh, you ever go back and watch the, fir- like the white Iverson video for Post Malone and just kind of like giggle? Yeah. Like what the fuck was he doing? <laughs> like you watch his it- Minecraft covers. No. Oh, that, that's, that's a thing. That's how he got his start. He was a Minecraft YouTuber and he was making like Minecraft rap tracks. <laughs> Holy fuck. I did not know that. Yeah, that's a little I, Gen Z tidbit. That's how we got him famous. All right, hand up. I'm going to be honest about something. One, I don't play video games. I just never have. What is Minecraft? Wow. Okay. Oh, God. Wow. All right. Wow. <laughs> you millennial, you're pushing boomer territory, dude. Dog, no. Hey, let me explain something. I suck at one thing in this life, and it's video games. And I learned that from a very young age. My hands and my brain you do not suck connect. at way more than one thing. <laughs> Colin, Colin, you are missing out on some of the greatest soundtracks of all time if you don't play video games. What is the point of Minecraft? I know it's just like you build shit. What is it about? 
there's no end there is no there is no end game it's an open world it's just you do whatever the fuck you want you get bored eventually and then you come back every two years to it all right so before i start standing real old johnny do you fuck with minecraft i don't play it i know what it is though like I, 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 we're spending a lot of time on Twitch doing our streams, so I've kind of like as an outsider or as like a uh, observer seen it, gotten a lot more into that shit. I want to rephrase my statement. I know what Minecraft is, but what's the fucking point? There is no point, dude. What do you okay. mean? What's the point? Like, There's what's no the point, point of anything? It's just like it's just a play. It's a it's a common game. It's you 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 can you can do whatever you want. You, it has things for everyone. You can build. You can like play a little survival thing. You can. You can do anything except get pussy. I think. I was, you know, precisely. <laughs> precisely. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's, that's changed though. Like that's such an old, like, trope of like. I think there's gamers out there fucking. I think they're like rock stars now. Every now and then. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Like I've just I've I've heard about Minecraft a million times. I've seen like clips of people playing it, and every time I watch it, I'm like, why, bro? If what? you're just like studying or grinding something out, turn on the Minecraft soundtrack. What it's it some like? well produced like piano tracks. Like as far as composition goes, it's actually really pretty. I'm just listening. I'm thinking right now about that 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 graph we put up today about what's the first song in your pl- your sex playlist. And I'm just thinking like Minecraft playlist. <laughs> Minecraft. <laughs> Yo, I just want to say something. This is the last thing we're getting the interview. We put that up today. There have been some outstanding answers back. Like some people got the joke. Like some people got the joke. Like a lot of people were hitting us with like sandstorm. I thought that was funny. Like a lot of people, but then there's some people that are like legitimately like Pony by Genuine. Like I like I lay my woman down and I put on this ex- like extremely sexual song and I'm like. Bro, I don't think you got it. Like, there was some dude, like, nine people wrote the national anthem, and I just fucking died. Wow. Oh, this okay. fucking earth. I'm looking at the Instagram comments. Oh, no. Like, Axel people, F, Crazy Frog. Crazy Frog's good. I like that. Do you think Jared Leto listens to Jared Leto when yes, he's having sex? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. He watches just, Dallas Buyers Club on loop. <laughs> guys, I'm going to say something. I don't, music during sex is just weird for me. Like, it's just an odd thing. I like the whole the, concept. I listened to the Inception Siren the entire time. <laughs> <That's it. laughs> I was uh, thinking more the Kill Bill Siren. Just really, I, I just watched Minecraft videos. <laughs> like, oh, just stream in the background. Yeah, just, yeah, like, just stream. like old, at least like two year old Minecraft streams. Someone, so like some people were like legitimately like Frank Ocean. Somebody wrote Dragula by Rob Zombie. That's a good one. My, Michael Greer from fucking uh, Barstool wrote Schism by Tool. I think that's an outstanding answer. <laughs> I don't know. Some people like took it a little too literally. I listened to Catholic school uh, church songs. I don't, am I, just on repeat. Am I the only one here who went to Catholic school? No. All right. So like, like the bread of life or like uh, fucking on Eagle's wings. I'm not here. <laughs> we had this song called Corum Deo. They used to play that. It was like a Gregorian chant for some reason, and that's just on loop the entire time. I'm going to work, like <laughs> just quorum deo back, back and forth. Yeah, what what do you listen to in the car? What's your go to like drive to work, drive anywhere? Because I got mine, and it's it's bad. I get judged what is for it? it. You go first. You go first. Uh, so I'm I, I like I have to separate myself. Like in the car, I generally listen to either sports talk radio or podcasts. It's the only place and I place I don't listen to music. But if I am driving, um just the most ignorant rap shit I can find. 
Like I, 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 what's the land? Like I'm going on my own repeat right now. Like it's a lot of podcasts, a lot of sports talk radio. Um, I've been listening to fucking her loss. I just been listening to fucking ignorant Drake shit. Uh, baby Keem, a lot of gorillas. Although now I've gotten into house music. So a lot of, Hell Summit, yeah. a lot of summit. Um, <laughs> I I can't lie, you guys forced me into that one. And it's, I house music is just something. It's it's an acquired taste. It's it's. it's dude, I, I feel like you you get it if you go to the right club. Like there were a couple. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in South Africa, so it's very like electronic music influenced over there. But then, like even on tour, when we'd be in Poland and some of these clubs, like it's very. I don't even know what it's called because I don't know every fucking subgenre of EDM. It's like deep trance or deep house or something or other. Just like super minimal, but not minimal techno. I know that's another fucking genre, but when you see that, hear that in a club, it just makes so much more sense. So like, we used you, to like, get into it in the backstage group chat when Caleb and Cole joined. They'd be talking about hard style and fucking tech house, and I'm sitting there like legitimately in the group being like, I don't know what the fuck you guys are talking about. And now I kind of do. I kind of get what you guys are talking about. And I thank you for that because now I've been introduced to an entire new genre of music that I just r- wrote off. So Dude, I'm it's- super into like, I guess it's minimalist tech where it's like one word just looped over and over or like a phrase. And then it's like the most, ba- it basically sounds like loops, but somehow not. It's like more fleshed out than that. Yeah. You, yeah. You're really into them. like uh, Gabe from The Office when he makes techno music. Just, I don't uh, know. That. I never watched the American one. What? <laughs> you never watched the American Office? No. Sorry, I, mean, I, I haven't I've either. seen like an episode here and there, like in the background, because people like fall asleep to it. We had one of the dudes used to live at our studio in LA, or like did merch for us. You'd, we'd leave in the studio late at night, and he's fucking passed out at like four in the morning. And it's just Office playing. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like a go to sleep show. As younger dudes, did you do you watch the Office? No, I didn't like it that much, but yeah, I, I know, yeah, I didn't like. I, I, I hate Friends. Me too. Not a fan of Seinfeld. Like and Seinfeld. The Office is something that a lot of people in my age demographic like, and I just can't. I can't watch I'm not, it. I'm not into sitcoms. I I'm not into any sitcom with a laugh track. I don't like to be told when to laugh. Right. I'm serious. Yeah. Like, it, although I have I, you I, ever I, seen when they take a show like I don't know if you watch it's an old show, but it's like the best show ever made, The Wire on hbo have you seen that when they put in a laugh track no it's fucking amazing they're taking some like incredibly dramatic scene of a dude's like getting harassed by the police in jail and just put in like a big bang theory style like laugh track it's amazing i that show is one show that like i can't my my brother loves the big bang theory every time i watch it i would just be like get this nerd shit off my tv i don't I have don't you done it. like a dna test because if my brother said that to me i would it would be like i don't know if i could do that he's definitely my brother you you know it the second you see him my brother <laughs> is like my brother is anti me i don't know how else to put this my brother is like younger than me by 18 months but he's also three inches taller and about 80 pounds heavier uh maddie's the maddie's my best friend in the world but he also like Loves guns and Trump and shit. And like, I'm I'm like, dude, you're such a loser. I was like, Wait, he likes your- Big Bang Theory, guns, <laughs> and Trump. Yeah. What the fuck? How did you get that mix to happen? That's going to uh, be the name of my first album right there. <laughs> guns, Big, Big Bang, Bang Theory, Theory, guns, and, and Trump. Trump. <laughs> you need to do like a, a, a fucking No Limit style uh, cover art for it. I posted that on the, on the chat, on the 
Do you know what I'm talking about? Like back when No Limit Records, like Master yeah, yeah, P yeah. and Juvenile, they had these wild, wild fucking cover art. And you need to see this. Make your cover art Guns, Big Bang Theory, and Trump, but do it like this. Like, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Was was Mystical part of that whole crew? Yes. Because yes, Mystical yes. for me is like probably top five. When I go back and listen to him, it's he's fucking amazing. And the way you guys makes- know, do you know who Mystical is? No. You ever heard the song uh, "Shake Your Ass, Watch Yourself"? Oh yeah, Shake yeah. that's yeah. mystical. That's but mystical. You know what's so crazy about him is like, cause he's from New Orleans or Louisiana, I believe, right? And he's got, yeah. he's making all these beats with like literally the stock cheapest, shittiest like saxophone sounds and like things you'd find in a cheap keyboard, and somehow they're the fucking most like sick, grooving in the pocket beats you've mm-hmm. ever heard. He's he's fucking amazing. That's, so it's that's like New Orleans bounce for you. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's it's also kind of like Yeet and Playboy Cardi. Like they're they're taking like the weirdest cheesiest sounds possible. Like, dude, you ever heard Vamp Anthem by Playboy Cardi? Mm-mm. Yeah. The, 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 the second I heard that beat, I audibly laughed. It's like <laughs> the Castlevania soundtrack. Yeah, it's like Dracula's and I, theme. And I still listen. <laughs> I still listen to it. Do you guys like Cardi? Yes, I don't mind. I like. I mean, keep in mind, I'm like I only listen to techno and and house and and occasionally dubstep and like i just listen to edm all the genres yeah so rap isn't really my thing but i'll listen to it when i'm with like my friends and stuff i like cardi and i fucking liked cardi for a while but when whole lot of red came out and i like i was like skipping through and i was like some of these are hot and then i got to vamp anthem and i was like you gotta be fucking kidding (laughs) there's no way this is a real song on an album and that's like the theme of him now that's like his his go-to like like entrance song on a, a at a concert yeah. Which and then the fucking crowd moshes crazy. Like what? What was it? The it was like Lollapalooza or whatever or Coachella where Miley Cyrus was before. Was it Uzi? I think was yes. it. Um, I know exactly what yeah. you're talking about. And you could just see the TikTok videos of the these these Miley Cyrus white girls just you know trying to get out of this this mosh pit and then out comes Uzi to just fucking God knows what and it's it was hilarious. I loved but it. It is also funny to think that like Drake could perform. And then, but be before Cardi, and they'll legitimately boo him off the stage. Remember when they did that when they thought Frank Ocean was coming out at Camp Flognaw, mm-hmm. and Drake came out instead, and they booed him off the stage. Like the fucking Beatles could get back together, and they could be on the, like they could resurrect John Lennon and fucking George Harrison. Gen they Z. could play and Paul. Yeah, he is dead. Yeah, no, don't what forget a, Yoko. Fuck Yoko. <laughs> <laughs> what a great what a great question in the group chat yesterday. I just I just opened up my phone to why is Yoko Ono still alive? Because <laughs> <laughs> God has a sixth sense of humor. Cool, but, that caught me off guard too. That Kale, was my ret- I just woke up and thought that. Kale, what uh what were you saying about Gen Z? Gen Z doesn't actually have much love for Drake. Which is weird. He's been the soundtrack no, of their entire corny. lives. It's not corny. weird because Drake is fucking boring. Thank yeah, you. I can argue that. It's really, they turn him to really a meme. It, it, Kayla was talking about this where Gen Z's weaponized, like their tactic is if they don't like someone, they just turn him into a meme. Yeah. They did that with Andrew Tate. Like they just turned him into a meme, and now Drake is like a cartoon character. Dude, do yeah, you remember it, when Ghostface Killer used to put out that list of the top 10 like softest rappers in the game? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah Drake was always number one. <laughs> I The thing is, though, like I laugh about it because I'm thinking like, 2008 so far gone came out right when were you born a little after that when were you born 98 uh, 
So you were 10 when that came out. Drake has legitimately been the soundtrack to your entire adolescence. Yeah, and I hate it. That's weird. I mean, not weird. Is it weird? It's not weird to hate the thing that's shoved down your throat 24-7 as a wow. child in the car that's while you're good. driving everything else. That's Pause. actually a really good point. Uh, let's go into our interview with the Gin Blossoms. Uh, I, I think we should just end it with that. I think it's been a wonderful conversation. But uh, does any, John, do you have anything on or off your list? No, not particularly. Great. Good content. I like that a lot. That was really good. <laughs> Guys, do you have anything that has annoyed you or that you've really liked over the past week? I got something. Just if you have time, go look at Red Foo on Apple Music. Red Foo from LMFAO. Okay, you remember okay. someone found a way to cheat the system and put him as a feature on their song. <laughs> and what? no one's found out about it. Like this is breaking news. I'm breaking this to the internet. It, it, here it is. It's you go to Red Foo. And then there's just there's this kid that snuck in his song, and that's the <laughs> album art, and it is the it's the worst fucking song you've ever heard. But under new releases by Red Foo, it's this kid. Jesus uh, Christ! So just everyone take a look at that. It's like I've new- thought about that because whenever you submit your music through like DistroKid or TuneCore and these things, you can put anybody you want as a feature. Like, Have you, you ever know? tried it? No, because I imagine it's going to get, it'll get taken. It's not worth the trouble for the, like, I mean, someone's going to do it and like, like this, like you're saying, where it's like a, becomes a, a viral moment, but it's, I don't know how they're watching that. Like, cause there's too many submissions for like people to be checking like, okay, Kanye West isn't on the new Foxtrot album. You know what yeah. I mean? I, I, that would be awesome. This, this Bro, he included 24K golden in the feature listing too. 24K Golden, Red Foo, and DJ Firehouse. Dude, I'm just going to do a whole collection of Foxtrot songs featuring DJ Khaled. Like, this is my... I have a long play to, like, get (laughs) DJ Khaled in a room with me so we can fight. Like, that's my only goal in life, realistically. Like, somebody needs to do it, and it needs to be me. The most wholesome person out there. Why would you... What? He's not. He is. He's not. All, all he does is like scream on tracks and get lost on his jet ski. Like he's just chilling. He no used to be that guy. Him. I dude, no one, but be- they don't no believe in us. DJ Khaled. Except DJ Khaled, God. DJ Khaled's been famous since I was in seventh grade. Somebody believed in him along the way. We played a show. Uh, it was like our record label, Epic, started to try and do like it was called Epic Fest of just Epic artists, like more of a showcase than an actual festival. He was there at that like early, early days of him. You've been in the same room as DJ Khaled, and you it didn't... was out. It was outside, and this was before he was such a meme. Although I think he was still at this at the at that point, he was still doing like We the Best or We yeah like that stuff. I'm talking 2016 DJ Khaled when he was getting lost on his jet ski and talking to his lion. Awesome. <laughs> After that, he's kind of chanced the rapper himself to me. Where to was where, DJ like, Khaled January 6th? That's a great question. Yeah, DJ Khaled, <laughs> where were you on January 6th? Never seen Batman and Bruce Wayne in the same place at the same time. <laughs> Never seen DJ Khaled and the Q Shaman in the same room. <laughs> what if like they, they comb through like hours of redacted footage of January 6th and DJ Khaled was just on the top of like oh, it's just Tucker Carlson breaking to <laughs> DJ Khaled right on the <laughs> <laughs> Yo, we should just clip this and tag Tucker Carlson in it and see if we'll run with it. Because he runs with a lot of shit. Are we yeah. are we trying to bait Tucker Carlson right now? 
Yeah. That's a new goal for the year. We're going to say, we're going to bait Tucker Carlson into something. We're going to create some liberal agenda and we're going to get him. We're going to get him. If you look at celebrities, <laughs> like, I don't know, DJ Khaled, where was he on January 6th? Why aren't they talking <laughs> about it? Fucking Ben Shapiro starts talking about it on the Daily Wire. Mm, hypothetically speaking. Hypothetically, um... if, you, if, you, if you look at it this way, <laughs> DJ Khaled, fucking weenie. All right, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to Kill McCole for stopping by. You guys are welcome to come back whenever. Dave, Thanks Dante, Kenny, us. I hope you guys continue hanging out with SpongeBob and doing whatever the fuck you want to do. Johnny, I love you. Uh, this is our interview with the Gin Blossoms. All right, ladies and gentlemen, on the guest list this week, we're continuing our uh, our exploration of some of our favorite bands from our childhood. I'm this was a shock to me that we actually got this to happen. We got Robin from Jim Blossoms. Robin, how are you, brother? I am excellent. I'm kicking ass at everything right now. So thank Hell you, yeah. <laughs> dude. Uh, it's funny because we got like a mutual follow on Instagram from whoever runs your Instagram page, and then I saw you guys playing before the super bowl what what was that about how did that come together well uh the super bowl wanted to throw a big outdoor party and they so they hired the arizona's uh greatest band jimmy eat world and then they needed a support act that didn't suck and uh <laughs> they they actually initially booked some friends of ours a group uh, called the Black Moods, uh, oh, great yeah. up and coming, great up and coming local rock band we've toured with and have been associated with forever. And my my friend in the Black Moods called me and said, "Hey, we got this gig with Jimmy Eat World." And then a few days later, he called me back and he's like, "Do you know the Jimmy Eat World?" guys i'm like no not really i've met them but i don't i don't know them and he said yeah well apparently they they kicked us off the bill because we're too hard rock we're too metallic <laughs> and you know i'm like well nothing i can do about that and then about a week later we got the gig and so i called my buddy <laughs> in black moods i was just laughing at him like well you know I'm, 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 sorry dude but we we got that gig, and uh, I bet we're being paid a lot more than you were you got offered. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. So, yeah, just you know, the NFL throws a bunch of events around around the Super Bowl, and they wanted some local bands to uh, to play this show, and uh, we qualified, and we came in uh, within their budget, which was apparently significant because we got paid a fucking fortune. Okay. And, um, I got anyway, it. Our, was, old, our old manager manages the black mood, so I gotta give him some shit about this saying. Oh, yeah. How do you how hey. do you let the how do you let them lose a gig, man? Well here's the funny yeah. part about all this is we were talking shit on Johnny because Johnny's from the band Congos, who are Arizonans, and we were like, damn, you didn't even get a fucking call, dude. You suck. Damn. Yeah. Well now that I'm I find out that, all Johnny. this information, I know I'm gonna call up this. I'm we're still friends with this ex manager and say he he must have actively cut us out of it. That's my that's what I'm taking away from this story. Yeah. Happens all the time. Those managers yeah. have their own agenda, and uh, <laughs> you know the 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 artist's wishes and preferences are secondary to what the man what management's after, right? Facts. Yep. 
God not damn. wrong. <laughs> oh, dude, it's it's real. We're really happy to have you here. And like I said, we had Everclear on. I think two weeks ago now. Oh yeah. Great. Uh, we had art on, and then uh, once again, as soon as I saw the gin blossoms come across my screen, I was like, "Dude, I need the fucking gin blossoms on." And we need I'm to just... get like the Rembrandts. We need to do like a total <laughs> '90s throwback like stretch. I think. There just you go. There you go. Well, I know all these guys. If you need some numbers, uh, I, I, my my Rolodex it. is is full of '90s bands. And as it happens, uh, we're doing a, a show in a couple months in April. We're performing at Hootie Fest in Cancun, Mexico. And Amazing. It's, it's, it's like, yeah, say every band we've ever toured with. It's uh, Hootie and the Blowfish with Goo Goo Dolls, Bare Naked Ladies, Collective Soul, Everclear, oh, Lit, what the fuck? And, uh, and Cowboy Mouth. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's, that's going to be really fun. Three days in Mexico. When uh, is with, that? That yeah, sounds amazing. It's... Uh, Sometime in April. I, I don't remember exactly. It's at the end of the end of the month, but I'm sure anyone interested can uh, just look up Hootie Fest 23 and you'll be able to figure it out. And uh, tickets are tickets are selling fast. You, it's a three day festival at a resort. And, uh, you know, I'm planning to like rent a cabana and throw a party. Uh, out there by the pool. So, how would you feel process. about sneaking four fat idiots in through your road cases to cover the festival? <laughs> you know, I'd I'd like to say there's room for you, but ideally, it's the the party's uh, going to be mostly ladies, and there won't be room. So, uh, you know, what can we? What can I do? I, uh, once I get uh, once I get the guys from Lit involved, uh, it, the party's going to fill up pretty quick. There'd be so. nothing like showing up with four dudes. <laughs> oh my god, dude, that's fucking awesome! Have you guys been yeah. doing a lot of touring recently, like since COVID's been back, or been kind of like yeah, bad? yeah? We uh, we started up. Uh, you know, we had a decent year at the uh, the second half of twenty one, and then twenty twenty two was back to back to normal for us. We spent last summer out on tour with Bare Naked Ladies and Toe the Wet Sprocket. Oh fuck yeah! And uh, we did eighty-five shows last year, which is a little oh, below our our average. But uh, since our uh, our income per show is is up, uh, we don't have to do quite as many shows to make the same kind of bread anyway. Love so it. Uh, yeah, it's been it was a good year for us. We did really well, and uh, now uh, we're putting together some stuff for. For next summer, we're going to be doing a bunch of shows with Soul Asylum and Tonic. Dude, so, what? Uh, yeah, that's yeah, all good. Seemed like all of our, I mean, Soul Asylum. That uh, run, Runaway Train was. Yeah. I swear to God, I remember it. My dad could pinpoint on different radio stations because that song was so popular. We'd be driving to like go get groceries or whatever, and he'd be like, "All right, it's going to be on this radio station now," and he would just switch the <laughs> dial and turn up Runaway Train. Yeah, that that's that's not surprising. It was a smash hit. Soul Asylum are a great band, and uh, along those lines, I live on Long Island now, and my son and I have uh, have a joke where uh, we turn on the radio and we say, "Well, what Billy Joel song do you think is going to be playing <laughs> when, when we turn on the radio?" And it's uh, it's usually uh, we didn't start the fire. So. Yeah, he's a I'm god. Robin, Robin, do your uh, how many kids do you have? 
Just the one. Well, I got a son. He's 21 years old, also an aspiring musician. Awesome. Mm. So does does he know how big you guys are slash were at the time? Or does he think you're just like dad? Like everyone's dad is just their dad. Mm-hmm. He's uh, he's he grew up around the band. Uh, but when he became uh, like a serious musician about six years ago, it really began to occur to him, uh, you know, what our what our band is. And now he's a DJ on the college radio station there. He goes to Nassau Community College and he's got a Tuesday night shows a show on uh, every, every week, Tuesday night, 7 p.m. Eastern. Uh, it's WHCP 90.3. And uh, he's got an alternative show and he pretty much plays Jim Blossoms every week. And he, he <laughs> no. definitely like plays it up and uh, he'll tell stories about the band. It's like reverse just, nepotism. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit of that. Yeah. And I, su- last, I support that. <laughs> indeed. That's so awesome. uh, last week he played, he played one of our newer tracks last week on his show and he was proud to brag that he had performed the tambourine on that track. And That's uh, awesome. so he, he definitely, uh, he's, he's very proud and he's really into it. And uh, his, his band, he's in a couple of bands. And one of them has opened for Jim Blossoms a couple times on Long Island. And every couple of weeks, he's like, well, have you got any other shows where we can open up for you? And I'm you know, I haven't got anything on the books for what's him right his, now. What's his, what's his band name? Give him a shout out. They're called The Mercuries. That's oh, one, nice. one of his bands. And his other band is called uh, Theo and the London Outfit. Love and uh, both bands are out on social media, Long Island based, uh, playing shows in Brooklyn, Queens, Long Island and uh, Manhattan. So, you know, it's, it's great to, to watch your kid follow in your footsteps is is amazing and to be able to have practical advice uh for him and uh you know a skill set that can help him and all of his uh bandmates um it's it's a real uh it's a real pleasure to uh to be able to assist them and to be able to coach them through certain situations you know it's gotta be it's gotta be tough it's gotta be tough though when your advice yeah when your advice is though like they're like dad what do i do and you're like I don't know. Right. Hey, jealousy. <laughs> like, yeah. That, that's almost, <laughs> that's almost exactly what I say. He's like, well, what advice have you got? And I'm like, well, write better songs. Yeah. You know? <laughs> that's, that's what it all comes down to. You know, him and all of his bandmates, they can all play. They're all really talented musicians. Uh, but it, you know, having a career like, like Jim Blossoms have been able to have is always uh a factor of the the level of songwriting and we wouldn't have anything if we didn't have songs that connected with people that were a, a, a part of the soundtrack of their lives. And uh, it's, it's also good to have not gone down as a one hit wonder that we have several chart topping hits. So we can pretty much go anywhere in the country and sell concert tickets. And, you know, it's, it's not something you can, you can take for granted. So, you know, so uh, really, kind of really uh, along those along those lines, I don't know if you guys, I mean, Colin and Dante, all you guys were aware. Did you watch uh, Ted Lasso? 
And yeah. and were you aware of that reference? Did it did it come up? I, I, for those of you that don't know, there's a quite a big little scene that happens where they're discussing the favorite Gin Blossom song, and it, it he says, "Was it Hey Jealousy?" He goes, "That's their best song. My favorite song is Follow You Down." So. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really kind of cool scene. Like, it's such an it's not an inside joke because obviously it's huge huge songs, but still like getting in, getting into the weeds of that. Were you aware that that was uh, coming out? Uh, had you been uh, contacted in any way? Do you know those guys, or was it just like a random thing that was a kind of cool surprise? Well, it was a very cool surprise. I was actually watching the show uh, right around that time that that aired. And uh, before I saw that episode, uh, we were, I started getting text matches, messages from people about, <laughs> did you see the thing on, on Ted Lasso? And, um, <clears throat> you know, I've, I've met him a few times because my ex-wife is the floor director at Saturday Night Live. And okay. she's had that oh, job. Oh, no way. So she, she's had that job since 1996. So she's known every cast member since those days. And Jason, uh, you know, had told her a number of times or at least a few times in conversation that he was a fan. But what she told me is that he had told her a long time ago that his favorite Jim Blossom song was Till I Hear From You. And for whatever reason, he didn't he didn't put that in the show. <laughs> Weird. But um, but that was a, that was a great moment, and yeah, we got a lot of buzz uh, around the band right about the time that aired. Yeah, I was gonna ask, did you see like did that translate into like streams and activity online that sort of thing? It must have. Absolutely, it it totally did, and you know, all of a sudden, uh, like we did a couple of interviews just based, uh, just inspired by that. So all of a sudden we were getting, uh, uh, a little bit, a lot more attention all of a sudden, just because uh, we got mentioned in the, you know, one of the bigger TV shows on the planet. So it's like the world's uh, easiest, it's like the world's easiest, lowest paying sync licensing agreement of all time. Like you you got the buzz from it, but you didn't even do anything to get it. (laughs) Absolutely. Right now. And those guys and, uh, 49 Winchester, who we interviewed like, what, three months back or so, those guys loaded because of that show. I mean, God, you guys, you guys have to be like one of the most synced bands ever. I feel like a lot of soundtracks have Jim Jim Blossom. Oh, yeah. Like early 2000s, like rom coms and everything. Hell yeah. 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 Absolutely. Well, do you have one that stands out to you? Um, well, Wayne's World 2 was, uh, was a big moment for us. And then, um, what was it? Ten ways to lose a guy. Ten. Um, ten. Uh, how to lose a guy or, in ten days. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's oh, it. Yeah, um, I forgot about that. Yeah, that one. Which is uh, a great we, movie. Yeah, I was actually on an airplane when that one uh, played. Um, you know, so that was kind of funny because, you know, I wasn't expecting it, but I'm watching this, watching the movie, and then all of a sudden, oh, that's. That's me singing while Matthew McConaughey rides yeah. a scooter across town, you know. Uh, but the, obviously the biggest, the biggest soundtrack we were ever a part of was Empire Records. Oh, and right. that, that, that was a, a very significant moment for us because uh, the, our label was putting out the soundtrack record. And they came to us and said, we want you to write a song for this movie. And if it's good enough, we're going to make it the lead single from the movie. 
And so there was a ton of pressure on us to uh, to write a hit. And uh, yeah, we uh, we stepped up and knocked it out of the park. So uh, that song was Till I Hear From You. Went on to be an international hit, top 10 single. And uh, to this day, we're, we're associated with that movie. And it was a big part of people's youth, you know? Yeah, I mean, Great it's just song. such a culture, like iconic cultural moment, that film. And then obviously the music and your song in it, you know? Yeah. Fuck yeah. Very cool. I got a question on that. You said you were watching... Uh, Ten things I hate about you in the plane. You, you all of a sudden you're, you hear your own voice singing. Don't think I asked for permission for that. Yeah, but I don't always pay that much attention to when they, uh, when those kind of things happen. Uh, and a lot of you know the licensing, it all goes through the label that owns that music. So we hear about it after the fact a lot of the time. Okay, most yeah, of the yeah, time, yeah. Uh, we were Managers, involved. Dave. In, yeah, they they take care of that stuff, and they don't need the artist's permission. Uh, the the only the only one we were ever directly involved in was Empire Records, and uh, since then it's just a matter of I mean, if you guys were making a movie and you wanted our song, you could just you got to contact Universal Music and you go through them and you license the tune. And uh, have you like ever I say, had I any that were any choice? Have you ever had any usages that you were not happy with where you had to kind of argue with the label? Like, I don't know. No, never, never huh. come up. Uh, you know what? I mean, it would have to be in like a really low budget porn for any, for anyone in the band <laughs> to get upset about it. Even then. You I know, mean, no, yeah. I was thinking more along the lines of like, if Raytheon wanted to use it, cause we had a couple come across our desk that we said no to that were just like, they were big, they went for ads, not for films. Where we just like, nah, we don't, we don't want that association. Luckily, we at, at the time had in our contract the ability to decline because otherwise there would have been some ads we wouldn't have been happy with. Well, yeah, the only yeah. one that Congo's ever turned down was before Trump used YMCA. He was using Come With Me Now at his rallies. <laughs> there you, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, but that must have been a big honor for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we offered to play his inauguration, and no one took us fucking seriously. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Just go well, out there uh, and tr go out there and troll him. <laughs> yeah, that's too bad. I do have yeah, a, I do bad. have a question too because I've been doing some some research because I I was thinking about this earlier today and like I feel like what stood out about Jim Blossoms in the time where you guys came out is because at that point I felt like grunge was starting to really happen and there was this kind of like really down edge to all alternative music and then you guys come through and feel more like the refreshments or the replacements or or like more this like driving kind of happier style of music. Like, do you think that's why you guys carved your own lane? Cause you kind of zigged when people were zagging. Sure. I think that's a part of it. We didn't at the time sound that much like what was happening on the radio. And, you know, we were following in more of a tradition of groups like say, REM yeah. and, mm -hmm. and classic rock groups like Cheap Trick or Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. And so, uh, yeah, we stood out in, in that sense. But right after we had a hit, record companies all basically were like looking for bands that sounded like us. And so coming up right behind us were groups like, say, uh, Hootie and the Blowfish and Better Than Ezra. And, you know, we uh, so once we cro cracked the, the charts, labels uh, 
felt like it was safe to take a bet on on groups that that weren't too metallic, that weren't too grungy. And uh, you know, I the first time I ever heard Hootie and the Blowfish, uh, I thought you know that their their label must have gone out and basically been looking for someone that sounded like Jim Blossoms, you know. And but boy, they uh, they really they they did pretty good. I mean, we. I think they sold about five times as many records as we did. So uh, whatever it was, they they connected on a, a much deeper level than we e- even managed to accomplish. Yeah, so. but that's like one of those things when someone asks you to like open a jar, you ask them, like you did all the work and then they get the glory at the end for opening the jar. That's how I would take that situation anyway. I, I I do, and I will be sure, certain to point that out to him when we're at Hoodie Fest in April. <laughs> you guys are just swimming in our wake. Just get <laughs> hammered and start screaming at Darius Rucker from the crowd. You know what yeah. deserve is? Do me a favor. Indeed. If you do bump into Better Than Ezra, tell him I remember. I It's been a long thing on this podcast. I have a very weird relationship with Better Than Ezra. We opened for them like five years ago, and they were not nice to us. So I've had oh, a lot yeah. of shit to talk about Better Than Ezra, dude. So I don't know if you guys have a okay. rivalry. Okay, I'll let, I'll let them know if I do see them. We, we do bump <laughs> into those guys every couple of years. We pretty much – you can pretty much count on us uh, doing a show with Better Than Ezra. And, you know, we'll always bump into our old friends like uh, Sugar Ray – Oh, and yeah. spin doctors, yep. Um, yep. you know, it's it's only a matter of time before, you know, we do we end up on, you know, sharing the stage with some of these groups. And we've had the pleasure to tour with with most of them over the course of our career. And, you know, we're it's cool. I've, I have a question uh, when you've been touring as long as you guys have. Have you got any key tour uh, like road crew that's still with you? Have you managed to keep a lot of that or? Um, have you gone through a lot of crews? Like, have you did you find your tour manager that you kept forever? Uh, I wish I could say that we have, but no, we have not. I guess we don't we don't pay enough to <laughs> retain our crew, and right. so every every two or three years it tends to cycle because they find better jobs. Uh, so uh, our our tour manager most recently just left us to go work for Sublime. And uh, so we had to like pull out the Rolodex and find somebody. And we managed to find the guy that was working for us like two or three years ago. All of a sudden he needed work. And so now he's he's back in the fold taking care of us. So, you know what? What we've learned uh, through painful trial and error is that the crew comes and goes. The management comes and goes. And what's most important is that we have to stay loyal to each other. And as long as we never break faith with each other, everything else outside of us can can cycle. But um, it's really important that we never uh, we we never stab each other in the back. And so we've got a management now. And no matter how pissed off I am at one of my bandmates, I never. I will never talk shit about my partners to to management. You know, mm-hmm. if, if you want to keep a band together for 35 years, you've got to maintain that loyalty and that brotherhood. You might not want to talk shit to the management, but do you want to talk to us about it? Like, do you want to air any grievances yeah. about your band? <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to, love to. No, uh, it's all good right now. You know, we've we've we're kind of we're kind of there after everything we've been through. 
we've gotten to a point where we know each other, we know each other's preferences, and we know what not to do to piss anybody in the band off. And you just, you don't survive the way we have without, without just staying true to each other and learning how to travel together without pissing anybody off. And, uh, you know, that's, that's one of the most important things, you know, like when I'm, when I'm asked to give advice to, uh, to up and comers, you know, how, you know, how do I keep the band together? And I'm like, well, you, you stay loyal to each other, you know, and you don't piss anybody off. Everybody just has to get up and do their job. And as long as you're doing that, you know, nobody can give you any shit. So. I feel like bands that stay together would make great marriage counselors because mm. Me it's, too. A, it's the same kind of thing. Like exactly what you're saying. It's, just literally just staying together for a band as a band for 35 years is an achievement. Like, you know, you've got so many different personalities, so many situations where it's so easy to just say, fuck it, we're out, you know? And to do that is, that's an accomplishment in itself, you know? It is. That is very true. And when, uh, when my marriage fell apart about 13 years ago, I remember my, my ex-wife saying, I don't, I, I don't understand. You're always pissed at your bandmates, but you're never going to leave the band. You'll never quit the band, but you're always <laughs> mad at them. And now, but you're going to divorce me. And I'm like, well, yeah, yeah. First of all, <laughs> I've, I've known them. I've been doing this longer than you and I have been together and I don't get paid to be married to you. So <laughs> that is that a is. savage response. But plus if, yeah. And I bet if you were on, t if you're in the middle of like heavy us touring, you're sleeping closer to your bandmates more than your wife most of the time. So <laughs> it's got a good portion of the time you, you bet, oh, but you know, we haven't had to uh, we haven't had to share rooms since 1994 when Good we finally you. like achieved it. When we once we sort of achieved some measure of commercial success, that was one of the first things that happened is everybody yeah. <laughs> started getting their own hotel rooms. Once but you get your own hotel room, years, you can't go back. <laughs> no, yeah, and huge. and that's that's a definitely a sign that your band has made it. Is uh, you know once once you start getting solo hotel rooms you know then you you know you've made it another big moment is like if you get it on get on an elevator and you hear your song in muzak form then uh so, yeah, you, so you know that's you've actually, made it. that was actually going to be one of my questions is what's the what's the point where you guys realize like holy shit we're we're not slumming it anymore we we kind of are legit now yeah, well, there were, there were more than a few moments along the way. Certainly, that time I got on the elevator at the hotel and I heard a song that I had written in my bedroom in Muzak form, and it takes a few seconds to for it to sink in, and you realize, wait, I, I know, I know this song. Where do I know this from? <laughs> so that was pretty cool. Um, you know, uh, doing uh, doing television shows. Is always exciting, you know, and so you, the first few times you do Letterman, you think, uh, wow, this is really great. We're, we're part of something really special. 
but it wasn't it was when we did the American Music Awards uh back in uh, not, I believe it was 94 that was a moment where I realized this is a big deal cuz not not everybody with a hit record even gets to perform on the American Music Awards mm. and I was standing there backstage but standing in between Gene Simmons and Meatloaf and they were arguing about like who who had more money and I got to just stand there in between the two of them and uh you know our dressing room was right next to Snoop Dogg and you 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 look around and you think yeah this is this is the front lines you know <laughs> what did uh what did it standing between those two what did that smell like I was just going to ask that question oh cologne <laughs> Cologne and hairspray. I know, <laughs> I know it's. I know it smells crazy in there. <laughs> who did? Who? Who has more money? Do you think? Uh, of those uh, definitely, two, definitely, definitely Gene Simmons. Yeah, Absolutely. I guess so. Yeah, yeah. God, the merch deals, huh? Dante, I would that, love to get to that point one day. Just argue about who has more money. Dante, that was yeah. the well, not even a fucking argument moment. in our conversation. Yeah. <laughs> oh, not me. I got five hundred bucks in my checking account right now. Oh, I do have a question right. about that period of time for you, though, because once again, I said I was doing a little bit of research today and I fucking know, hey, jealousy as the breakout hit. And I thought to myself, like, oh, that had to have been like just like an obvious hit. But you guys that did not hit the first time. Didn't you guys have to go through a process of like your label repitching it to radio and like all this shit to get that song to where it needed to be? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we released it initially uh, right when the album came out. Uh, in the fall of 92, and it didn't take. And so they tried a couple other songs from the record to see if those would really stick with radio. And that didn't work. And then just about the time we were going to give up on the record and the label had told us, well, I think we're through. You guys need to go write another record. About a month later in the spring of 93, our our management and our record company came up with this idea for us to go out on tour in colleges. And there was some, some magazine that was distributed on college campuses around the country. So they made a deal with them. So we were on the cover of this magazine and it was on hundreds of college campuses around the country. We went out and we were doing college campuses uh, for that whole spring in 93 and it was a rough tour because we would play the the school like during the we'd have to get up and do radio and then around noon we'd go to the school and do a live performance like at the student union sometimes in the cafeteria oh. um i'll never forget like you know watching people with their lunch trays <laughs> like looking over their shoulders like is that a band you know <laughs> and i hey i remember like those days i john mayer played in our school cafeteria once what? yeah it, like yeah this used to happen like this used to happen uh, bands Damn. used to get booked to play this that was a good it was a good trick that's a very good trick yeah so, so what what happened is we we started to develop some momentum over the course of that tour airplay started picking up and then Apparently, there was a, a crucial phone call between our record company vice president and one of the vice presidents of programming at MTV. And somehow, those guys got in, 
into cahoots and I don't know if, uh, you know, bribery was involved or <laughs> what, what exactly happened, but apparently the, the vice president from MTV said, if you make a new video, we will break this band for you. So there was some sort of backroom deal that was made with MTV. And the next thing we know, just right near the end of this, this college tour we were doing, we get a call and they're like, at the end of the tour, you got to come out to LA. We're going to reach, we're going to shoot a new video for Hey Jealousy and MTV has promised that they're going to, that they're going to play it. And uh that was that was a big moment for us and it really hit home when i saw the budget for the video because initially the first time we made a video was five thousand dollar budget the second time we made a video was a five thousand dollar budget but the video for hey jealousy that mtv had asked the budget went up to forty thousand dollars jesus wow so that's when i that was the moment that i knew these guys are serious. And then it was a number of months later when we, we went to make the next video, which was found out about you, the budget had gone from $40,000 to a hundred thousand dollars. What? And the, that's when I knew we're, we're in, we're established. The label right. the, the, it went five grand to 40 grand to a hundred grand in terms of the video budget. And that was a that was a really clear sign that we were a part of the machinery of the music industry. Wow. And that the, and the label really thought all we got to do is spend this money and we're going to get it all back. You know? I'm amazed hearing a label having that much faith and like having your back like that. That's that's like incredible to me that they had that much invested in you and knew you guys were worth, you know, revisiting that conversation with MTV, reinvesting in another video, which by the way, what were the differences in, in the original video and, and the second video? Yeah. But you guys have like CGI budgets. Like were you on fucking <laughs> yachts with Diddy? Like what was a hundred thousand dollars getting you? Yeah. Well, I, I would say most of that money went to the director. Um, uh... You know, the at, at for for the first video, the five thousand dollar video, we were on our own basically. We had to find some arts, you know, some film student that uh, one of our ex girlfriends was dating because that's the the only <laughs> director we could find. And then with the second one, you know, they send me a box of videotapes to look through, uh, watch some music videos, and so I can pick out pick out the director. And so I watched all these videos and I had never even heard of any of the bands <laughs> whose videos I was watching. And then for the found out about you video and the budget went up to a hundred grand, they sent me a box of videos and I was watching videos from Bruce Springsteen and Bob Dylan and, you know, other alternative bands that were already on the charts and that's, again, when I knew, wow, you know, the last time we did this, I didn't even know any of the bands in the box of videos. And now I'm, I'm, I get to choose the same director that worked with Springsteen, oh. um, you know. So that's, I think, most of that money, to answer your question, I think it went towards, uh, you know, the director and the production values and, like, the, you know, the, the studios we were allowed to shoot in 
and yeah, special effects budgets and stuff like that. So, for a hundred grand, awesome. I know I'm an asshole because for a hundred grand, I would have been asking to do the Paula Abdul video where she was like dancing with fucking Roger Rabbit or whatever the fuck she was doing. Like, god yeah, damn. Yeah. That's so funny. For a hundred grand, I'd be thinking, how can I make a video for hundred and fifty dollars and pocket the rest, <laughs> and charge it to the label? That's where my brain goes. <laughs> exactly. That's where my brain just went. <laughs> That's awesome, dude. I mean, th this has been so much fucking fun, dude. You have great stories, and I, I, I like. I do wonder, like, now. Like looking at what's going on in music right now, like do you guys still have interest in making new records or like cutting your teeth that way still, or is it now? Is it just like I'll go fucking play Hootie Fest and tour a hundred dates a year? I don't even worry about <laughs> making new records anymore. Well, we we well both actually. We don't need to worry about making new records anymore, uh, and uh, but we do it because it's who we are right. and it mm -hmm. satisfies us. The last time we made a record. Uh, came out in 2018. It's called Mixed Reality, and I think it's one of the best. If it's the second best record we've ever made as a group, and we we were able to go and work with uh, with a producer that we had always admired and always wanted to work with. So we hired Don Dixon and Mitch Easter. These are the guys that produced the first three REM records. Uh, and Don Dixon went on to produce some of our other favorite artists, uh, including the Smithereens. And uh, Don Dixon was Nirvana's first choice for a producer, but Don turned them down. <laughs> he didn't. Don could have produced the first Nirvana record, but he uh, he turned it down. But Nirvana, they were all fans of the Smithereens, and so they liked Don Dixon as a producer. And so we made this record and uh, came out 2018. It, I think it's one of the best things we've ever done. And we're, we're tentatively planning to get another record done sometime like in the next year or so. Um, but there's no rush because we really don't sell records anymore. Um, mm -hmm. As good a record as Mixed Reality is, it, it really didn't sell very much. Nobody... Nobody really sells many records anymore. Um, you know, it's it's very difficult to to do that. And I remember right about the time that Mixed Reality came out, I was talking to a friend of mine. Is uh, he's the drummer from Sugar Ray, and he's also in Good Charlotte. And uh, my buddy Dean and I were on the phone, and he said that the Good Charlotte record had just come out, and they were doing a bunch of shows. And I'm like, well, how you know? what how's it selling you know what's it you know what kind of numbers are you doing and he didn't want to tell me he's just like uh you know he kept he kept just avoiding the answer and i'm like well tell me how many how many records did good charlotte sell and he said you know robin let's put it this way the days of getting a gold record backstage are long gone oh yeah and <laughs> so i kind of prepared myself mentally okay if good charlotte can't sell records right now then we you know we haven't got much of a shot at it either but it, that's not going to stop us from doing it when we want to and uh as a group hopefully we'll all be on the same page and uh start putting something together within the next year but like i said there's no rush Consider yourself lucky for the fact that you did live through the era where they did sell records because as a musician of my age I've never once in my life thought about selling records because nobody fucking buys records 
It's, it's true. Um, I we we came up at the at the perfect at the perfect time because that was the absolute height of record sales mm-hmm. in America was uh, during the '90s, and so we were definitely in the right place at the right time. And to to go back to one of the points you guys were making a few minutes ago, we were with a label that wanted to build careers. They weren't just interested in in hits and one hit wonders. They wanted sustainable careers, and we were with A and M Records, and so they were they were willing to allow us to fail a little bit and try again. And they they saw a long term potential for us, and that's the kind of label they were. The the same record company behind Soundgarden and Sheryl Crow and The Police and Sting and uh, Peter Frampton. Uh, Janet Jackson, um, they were they were a great, smart, classic label that believed in long term careers, and they were willing to invest in the band. And nice. to that point, we we actually failed to make our first record. Uh, they set us up with a big shot producer, and we spent two months in Hollywood trying to make this album with this big name producer. And it failed, and the the music wasn't very good, and we threw it away. I still, to this day, have not even never heard those recordings since like a month after that. And so that was a that was a hundred thousand dollar debacle on our part. Uh, we we spent a hundred grand failing to make a record, and we thought we were done. We figured we were going to come home to Tempe, and we would get dropped. And that was going to be the end of it. But they they believed in us. And so they gave us a little bit of money, a $20,000 budget to go self-produce an EP. And so we did that. And then they put us out on the road with no radio and virtually no uh, retail support. It was just us in a van driving around in the winter of 92. Uh, I felt like we were the only band in America that was on tour in December of 92, driving through the snow in Idaho, uh, you know, to get to the gig in Minnesota. And that was a way for the label to not only further invest in us, but also to, to test us to see if we had what it, what it takes to sustain a career. If we could survive being in a van for a couple of months uh, under those conditions. And it was a way for them to sort of shake the tree and see if any rotten fruit fell out. And we survived all of that. And a few months afterwards, we went to Memphis to record New Miserable Experience. And, uh, you know, the, the, again, the point I'm, I'm making is that A&M at the time was a label that was willing to invest in careers and give you the opportunity to try and fail. And one other quick example of that was Cheryl Crow's first album. Cheryl had been on the label for a few years. They had invested a million dollars in her debut record. And when it was all done, they decided that it was too pop and they shelved it. And wow. gave her gave her like another two years, and she came up with Tuesday Night Music Club, 
oh. which wow. obviously like built her career. So they they were willing to invest all of that time and money, and they got to a point where they're like, this isn't the right record for this artist. And, uh, you know, wow. that, that shows you what, what A&M was, was about at the time. But to be fair to Sheryl Crow, it's not like they just gave her the money. The record company's like a bank. It's actually yeah, more it's like, it's, it's like borrowing money from the mafia. You have to pay every dime <laughs> back at an extremely high interest rate. And so, you know, a few minutes ago, I was telling you about the $100,000 budget for Found Out About You. By the time we got through that video, we were a million dollars in debt to the label. And we had to sell, I think we recouped when we got to about 950,000 albums is when we finally broke even with the label and started like earning our our piece of the album and our our piece of the record was only 15 percent so by time by time we actually broke even with the label they had already made several million dollars in profit and for for every for every ten dollars they made they only had to give us a buck fifty so, I need a trigger uh, warning when this kind of discussion is going to come <laughs> up, by the way. <laughs> right. <laughs> it brings right. back too many bad memories. Yeah. And, to, and again, to, you know, to go back to that point, A&M was one of the better labels right. to be a part of at the time. And that was, that was as good a deal as you were going to get. You know? Hey, Dave, it's a dirty industry, bro. It's a yeah, dirty I, I've, I've learned that. I learned that swiftly hopping on board with you Dave, guys. Dave is the only one of us who isn't a musician. So Dave learns all of these things from these conversations. Yes, so. yes. Right. These are there's a lot of these sort of horror stories. But I mean, it sounds like they I mean, one, they're business, so yeah. I, I you can't really, you know, hate on them for that. But two, it does sound like one, they're willing to gamble if they do feel that they have something, which I don't think many uh businesses in, in their position would do at all. And two, it sounds like they're actually like upstanding people, which I do appreciate. Yeah, there was, there were, there were a lot of great people at the label at the time. And, you know, it's, it's their hits like a a Janet Jackson record that gives them the budget to go out and gamble on a band like Jim Blossoms. And then again, they, they sign Jim Blossoms. They're not going to lose money because we have to pay them back for, for everything. So uh, it's it's still it still benefits the label way more than it, it does the artist financially. But they, you know, that being said, they were a real music label and they cared about music and they cared about building careers. So we'd be hard pressed to find that shit anymore. Yeah, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's in, like it's it sounds, impossible. It sounds it's like impossible. a world. It is, you know, the only artist to have a platinum record in the last like five years was Taylor Swift. And she sold a a million when she sold a million physical copies of her record. She was the first artist to go platinum in a couple of years. And I don't know if anybody's done it since. And, you know, if if Taylor Swift had been out in 1993, she probably would have sold about 25 million albums, you know, because that's what that was. That's what we did. We all went to the record store to buy records. We all watched MTV to see music videos. 
we were listening to the radio. Um, and now the delivery system is, is just so different. You know, I don't think music has really changed and certainly not people's emotional attachment to music. Some things like that never change, but now we just live uh, with a different type of media and a different form of, uh, of the, the delivery of the music. Right. But, but there's still music still as great as ever, you know? I like that attitude. Who are you listening to these days? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, I've never stopped listening to rock and roll. Um, my favorite band for a while now, my favorite band is The Darkness. Yeah, and nice. Justin Hawkins. Absolutely. He's so great. I uh, just love that band. Um, uh, another recent group that I really love is called Volbeat. They're yeah. just an awesome hard rock band from Denmark. Just great great stuff and uh let's see an alternative band i love uh they're called the stripes they're a really young group from i believe ireland and they they take me back to that music that i was listening to when i worked at tower records in 1983 you know they sound like uh the jam or you know something something along those lines elvis costello and the attractions they remind me of that kind of music so. Sorry, the tower on Mill Avenue by the by yeah. ASU. Oh yeah, yeah man. I, I spent many many hours there just that, uh, going through the records. That was such an experience. That place was it was a cool spot. <laughs> just a couple yeah, Arizona was, boys. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. Yeah, I were I st- I got a job there right out of high school. I started working there in 1983, and then um, I actually got fired twice. From Tower Records, I'm like one of the only people on the planet can say they've been fired from Tower Records twice. Um, but then I got a job across the street at Zia Records. Yeah. And then my next my next job and the last time I actually had a real job was in 1989. I was working at Rockaway Records in Mesa, Arizona. And so you know, I had about seven years of retail experience before our band ever got signed. And so I used to be able to, you know, hold my own with, uh, you know, when we'd be in conversation with our product manager or whatever, um, (laughs) you know, she couldn't tell me anything that I didn't already know. Right. Yeah. Breakage. (laughs) (laughs) Robin, this has been an absolute pleasure, man. You're welcome back whenever you'd like to come back on. Thanks. Uh, We'll have to get your son's band on at some point, too. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Any anytime. I'm sure you guys can find him on uh, on social media. If you need tr- help with that, you guys got my management's phone number. You can get a hold of me anytime you need something. All right, awesome. The only thing I will ask is once again, I'm pitching the idea of sneaking us into the Hootie Fest. Uh, well, okay. <laughs> cases, yeah, like Robin. we're in Breaking Bad with the meth containers. Yeah. Well, Robin, I want to ask you: Do you think we're even going to make it to Hootie Fest with this alien invasion going on? <laughs> Yeah, what are your thoughts? I'm, on, I'm, what are your thoughts on this? I I'm pretty sure that uh, those balloons were all and all of the UFOs were up by Alaska, so I'm pretty sure we're going to be safe in Cancun. Yeah, hey, no problem. Yo. Okay, and that, this we'll is going to be real bad. It's going to be real bad we'll if the aliens. There. It's going to be a real bad clip if the aliens do land in Cancun. They just randomly pick Cancun <laughs> on that day. Like, damn, yeah. Rob, they heard Robin. They heard the challenge. They came to catch it. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, cool. Actually, can I quickly? I we our band did have a UFO encounter, like a, a real UFO encounter. We were in the studio in Phoenix 
recording Follow You Down. And um, we went out into the courtyard of the studio and we all, and our A&R guy and our producer, we all stood in the courtyard of the studio and saw, had a UFO encounter. There was something in the sky above us that it was really high altitude, whatever it was, it had roughly had the shape of a blimp and it had like this weird lighting, this moving lighting pattern that was on it. And we watched it just hover above the city of Phoenix for about 10 minutes and then just ascend straight up over the course of a couple of minutes. It just went so high that we could no longer see it. Wow. And we, we all stood there going, what in the hell? Uh, is that and what was that? So and, uh, and then one you know, of you was wow. like, "I got a great idea for a song. It's called Follow You Down." Then you went back <laughs> in and recorded the song. There you go. What the now, fuck? at that point, it was like, "Okay, the song was pretty nearly done. I just had to go back inside and record the tambourine track, and it was in the can." But uh, but we we did have a genuine UFO uh. encounter, and uh, it's a big part of my memories of recording that song. Yeah, go figure. That's wow. crazy. <laughs> And that's how you end an interview. Holy yep. shit, that's amazing. Awesome well, story. Robin, absolute cool. pleasure, bro. Bring us some more alien stories from Hootie Fest when they invade. It's going to be sick. Uh, all right. You got this it. Is, this has been a pleasure, my man. We'll talk to you soon, all right? Thank you thank so you, much. Thank you, Dave, Colin, Don, Johnny. Thank you very much, guys. Thanks thank a lot, you. man. Thank you, guys. See you soon.